Larry Wilmore here, host of the podcast, Larry Wilmore, Black Um Air. Now, in my latest episode, I talked to Senator Bernie Sanders about the state of the Democratic Party and the polarization happening in America and Trump's rise to power. And Trump picked up and he said, you know what? I feel your pain. The establishment is ignoring you. I, Donald Trump, I, of all people. I'm going to take on the establishment. Well, he lied, of course. Yeah. But that was his message. So you can hear this episode in full and subscribe to my show by searching for Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify Mobile, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to High Upside, the Ringer's new NBA Draft podcast. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and I'm joined today, as I will be every week through the NBA Draft, by fellow Ringer staff writer Jonathan Charks. John, what's up? Nothing much, man. How you doing? Enjoying your big Game 3 win from last night? That was a wild, wild game, dude. That was very wild. So for the Celtics, they have the number one pick. And last week we talked about um, on High Upside, the draft lottery and the implications of that. And this week we're going to talk about the guards projected to go in this year's lottery. And to kind of set the table here, we're gonna, to, before we get into the discussion, there's seven guards, point guards or combo guards that really have a strong chance of going into the lottery. They're Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith, Frank Nilly, Kina, Malik Monk, and Donovan Mitchell. We're not going to go through all those guys because we did some last week but to kick it off we're going to start with the guy who's almost certainly going to go number one and that's Markel Fultz he's first on virtually everybody's board he's number one number one on our 2017 NBA draft guide so Jonathan Fultz is your top ranked guard and, and number one overall prospect I have a very simple question for you why uh, I got a simple answer he's awesome um I say I saw someone say something along the lines of he's the Carl Towns of guards. Like he's just a really easy guy to project. He's really good at almost everything you need in a guard to do these days. He should be a real he has a chance to be a great NBA player. And even in a worst case scenario, he should be an above average NBA point guard or shooting guard. He's very versatile. You can play him off the ball or on the ball. He does everything really well. I mean, I think to me it's pretty I want to see the person who doesn't have false number one, really. So, you know, with Fultz, I mean, like, we're on the same page. He's number one on my book. I think that's, you know, a, a pretty cool comparison that he's the towns of point guards. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do th I do have him as my number one prospect. And I just, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, okay? Because I think there has to be someone out there who doesn't have Fultz number one. So I, I'm going to be their voice right now. And get you know, one of the concerns... Pod. I got you. <laughs> one of the concerns I have with Fultz, John, is that, you know, when you watch all his plays when you go through everything it's really hard to find like super super explosive moments and like i'm talking about you know dunks and traffic you know tremendous you know offhand at rim finishes step back threes and you know sometimes with watching Fultz, and i'm talking about offense here not defense it's hard to get over like how passive or sluggish he can be sometimes and is that concerning at all to you does that stand out sharks I don't know. I mean, there's that one play against when he was playing, I think it was UNLV or at the UNLV arena where he stole the ball at half cart court, brought up the floor, went behind his back and dunked on someone like he has nice explosive that, plays. You know that, what I'm talking that's about? That's transition, though. Like, what, what about in the half court, though? Half okay. court situations. Um, I mean, he has those great, I guess, those. he has a lot of big chase down blocks. Like, to me, I'm not. Maybe he's not like, I don't know, John Wall athletically, but I don't necessarily think that's the end of the world given his size. To me, the bigger issue is his defense. 
How worried about you about how, how much he plays on defense? That to me is the big red flag with Fultz. Not, not like I mean, it's a concern, but like Fultz is the num- number one pick for his offense and, and not his defense. I mean, like if he becomes a great defensive player um, on top of being a tremendous offensive player, I think that that's kind of a rarity in the sense you look at a lot of the point guards in the top NBA and they're elite guards for their offense. And and so for Fultz, I think early in his career, if he's drafted by the Celtics, they're going to he's going to have to defend to stay on the floor. Fultz will need to defend or Brad Stevens isn't going to keep him out there, especially on the perimeter. But so but later in his career if he does become that elite offensive player you know if he slacks off a little bit on defense well whatever it is what it is all the top guys do that for the most part aside from really I would say Chris Paul might be like the the best defensive point guard out of the top guys and you know that's why where I go back to his offense I mean if there's a hole to pick with his offensive game I think it's the fact that you know compare him to a guy like Dennis Smith Smith is super explosive in the half court, and that's despite playing with two bigs on the floor like Fultz did, where it's Fultz, you know, in a sense, I just, you know, watching all his stuff back, sometimes you wonder why, why doesn't this guy make me go, wow, more often? Like, why, why am I not going nuts, you know, with this guy when I'm watching his highlights? I, I, I'm just curious, though, like, when, what are you looking for? What is it from him that, like, makes you feel like it's okay that we don't see that against college-level defenders? I mean, I'm looking more for, like, feel of the game. Than like wow play. I mean, he makes a lot of wow plays to me. It might just be in the eye of the beholder thing. Maybe you're just a millennial. You're a little jaded. You know, you like big flashy things. I don't know. <laughs> I guess like their concern maybe is that uh, maybe the free throw shooting. That's another concern you could have. It's only at sixty five percent. I mean, what if he's not a very good three point shooter in the NBA? What if he's only an average shooter? Then you combine average shooting with maybe not tip top athletic ability. Then maybe he doesn't reach his ceiling. Like he's not John Wall's an average shooter doesn't really matter. He's John Wall, but Fultz isn't that. So that's an issue too. You're kind of a shot doctor. What's your take on his overall form? So I, I don't. I definitely don't think he's the forty percent three point shooter that his statistics show. I think he'll be fine. I think you know long term maybe he'll be a great shooter. But uh, anybody who's you know looking at his basic college stats and sees whatever it is thirty nine point one percent or forty percent forty one point three. Okay, so forty-one point three percent—that's you know even higher than I, I thought. And but but it doesn't change the point that I think that's a little bit misleading in the sense that it's only one hundred twenty-six attempts. It's a small sample size. Historically, three-point percentage isn't really the stronger strongest indicator of shooting success in the NBA. I think I think he's going to be a good shooter. I, I have I have no doubt about that. Um, I I just don't know if he'll be a knockdown guy, especially early in his career. And 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 that's you know touches again on like you said earlier, if he doesn't have the shot perhaps that does hurt some of his interior finishing because he's not necessarily an elite athlete don't get me wrong I mean I think everything we're saying and and this is kind of you know where the James Harden comparison comes from everything we're saying right now really applied to James Harden in college and to an extent kind of still does today where with Fultz the game looks like it comes easy easy to him like it did for Harden sometimes it looked like they were coasting you know there were questions about Harden's jumper coming out of college too but really it's the pace they play with that makes them so devastatingly effective yeah i would say the harden comparison is a little tough because harden's just so freaking big he's like a he's like six five two twenty fault isn't that kind of size i mean he's about six four but he doesn't the same kind of frame to take the contact harden can that guy's a tank and i guess too maybe one final thing with faults he feels like he's a guy if he's gonna be at his best he needs like 15 16 17 shots a game he's a very high usage player 
Whereas like Lonzo can go somewhere, take like seven shots a game and still be a really impactful player. I'm not sure how good Markel would be in a, like a third or fourth opt role, which will be in Boston in the first few years anyways. You know, th- th- that's certainly a possibility. But, you know, the interesting thing with Fultz, um, look at look at his er- his game, you know, tr- basically early in games at Washington. He was passing a lot early in games like he would try to get guys going. And it was more in the second half of games that I thought he really turned it up offensively. So I, I do think he can take on more of a complimentary role. And, you know, that's why, I, you know, in, a- in many ways I like him for the Celtics because they can kind of mold him into the guy that, you know, they would want him to be long term and early in his career. Career, he could focus on becoming, you know, more of a hard-nosed defender. Develop good hey, Kevin, habits. I got a question and for you. Would you trade Fultz for Paul George straight up, not knowing if George would t- come back next year? Not knowing if Paul George is going to resign? Yeah, like it's like if it's a gamble, if it's like a shot in the dark, no, if it's like a, you no, wouldn't no, do it. No way. No chance. Yeah. No. No, no, yeah, you wouldn't. And, and the reason why is, you know, I, I, I wrote this in my article today as a, a quote from Wick Grossbeck, and he basically said, you know, it's hard to give up eight years of a number one pick um, in the state current state of the NBA. It's, it's hard to say no to that. Uh, you would have Markel Fultz until 2025 and he'll be 26, 27 years old. Then Paul George will be 35 years old. So I think, I think, you know, you really need to think about sustainability. You need to ask yourself, what would Greg Popovich do? What would, what would Bill Belichick do? I think those, those are the questions you need to ask yourself when making big decisions like that. Yeah. He would outlast Trump's presidency. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a long time. So, you know, as I said, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, we're skipping over Lonzo Ball. We're skipping over De'Aaron Fox. We discussed those guys a lot last week, especially in, in context of the Lakers and what the, what decision they made. You know, Charks and I made uh, wrote a piece together. It's titled Finding Lonzo Ball's True NBA Destiny. And you can check that out on the ringer.com. But some of the, some of the conversation uh, that relates to those guys can also be applied to De'Aaron uh, that some of the conversation that can be applied to Fox does relate to Frank Nilikina. If that last name is hard to pronounce, we have three nickname suggestions. Just Frank, because Frank is a great name. Filthy Frank, because he is a filthy <laughs> player. Or if you want to pronounce his name like the ringer's Jason Concepcion, just go with Frankie Nicotine. That, that's really my preference. Frankie Nicotine. I guess so Frank, Francois. Six right? foot five guard. Frank, six foot five guard, 18 years old, ranked 10th on my board, 12th on Danny's. 13th on Jonathan's John you're a little bit lower on him than I am and slightly lower than Danny what hesitations do you have about Frankie Nicotine's game I think the main thing with him to me I'm not sure he has like the burst to be a primary option as a point guard I kind of look at him more as a guy he's going to settle into I think he might end up being a shooting guard I think he's he's really smart player hopefully he can shoot he's got a good wide frame he'll put some weight on as he gets older but to me, I'm not sure you can give him the keys to your offense, let him go. And when, when I'm drafting a point guard, I want that more than anything else. So, you know, I, I think with him and, you know, I think that's a very fair point. I mean, you look at him and you wonder, wait a minute, is this guy quick enough to be a point guard? You know, he looks kind of slow out there um, on the offensive end of the floor. Doesn't have the greatest first step. Uh, doesn't always really turn the corner. Doesn't make the best decisions of the ball. You, you do find yourself asking, is this guy actually, you know, going to be a point guard or is he just a, a two guard with just certain elements of a point guard's game? But, you know, I, I, I kind of look at this as, the inverse sometimes of the the Michael Carter Williams conversation in 2013 like some people looked at him as like a top five pick and I didn't even honestly view him as a, as a first round talent I, I 
was not a fan of Carter Williams. Wow. And like nice. the, the good the good part of with Carter Williams was that he you know he has athleticism, defensive upside, length. But like I felt like his feel for the game and like just poor touch, which is overlooked. Whereas with Filthy Frank, like he has the defensive upside of Carter Williams, but he has tremendously better feel and touch and passing vision and instincts. So like I look at that and I'm like, this dude's not even 19 years old yet. So what if what if in a sense we might be I guess overrating just how poor of a ball handler he is right now instead of thinking like okay long term three four years from now if he adds more more handles more moves to his game all that feel and all that passing ability will be able to manifest like into a really really good point guard because I have him 10th and I feel comfortable with him there but I also question myself and say you know looking ahead why don't I have this guy higher than I do yeah I mean that's fair I just think I think either way, I'd want to use him with another point guard because one, I think that's probably the biggest selling point with uh, Frank or Francois or whatever is like you can possibly play him in a two point guard system because he's big enough to guard off the ball. So, or I guess maybe if you have him with a primary creator, you can have a huge team where Frank plays at the point. I will say there's a lot of roles he could play, which makes him interesting an interesting draft pick for a team like Dallas because they already have Seth Curry. And so you could have Frank guarding off the ball and then running point and letting Seth kind of guard point guards and take a lot of shots. So he gives you a lot of versatility in terms of how you set him up in a lineup. And that's pretty big too. Isn't that the case, you know, with a lot of teams though now, like the way, the way, I mean, the point guard position has changed in a sense. And we're going to talk about this kind of next with some of the other guys, but there's a lot of teams that, run multiple ball handler offenses and and they value having multiple guys who can play make and handle the ball i mean like look, look even look at for example the two teams that are probably going to be in the finals the cavaliers and the warriors they have i mean kyrie irving is their point guard but lebron james is really their point point forward on the team he's the one who handles i think more of the playmaking responsibility stephen curry is the point guard of the warriors but they have multiple guys who handle the rock and do, and playmake in the half court offense and, and so in that sense i think you know th- that's what makes him not necessarily more appealing i just wonder if that's just the way the game is and that's the way it's going so for all the point guard all the point guards i think in a sense maybe that's what you want i think in most systems kevin where do you think is the best fit for frank if you could pick where he could go, if you were his agent, where would you want I, him to go? I, I would like him to go, I mean, I'm not sure about a specific team, but I would like him to go to a situation where he's able to really, I think, get developed along. I would like to see him play behind a more veteran point guard early in his career. I'm not sure it would be good for him if he was just thrust into the starting role right away. I think he'd get eaten alive. He's not ready, I mean, as a ball handler. And I think that could be really bad for him and his development. I, I, I hope he falls into a situa- situation wherever it is, Um that he's able to just develop, you know, behind a starter. I think, I think, you know, you look at it around the league at a couple guys a couple years ago, um, Dante Exum, I'm not ready to give up on him in Utah. I mean, it's, there's a possible that he's just going to end up just another guy like, like he is. And it's possible, uh, Nilly Kina could too. Um, but at the same time, I think that could be a good path for someone like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of Eric Bledsoe with the Clippers, right? Same kind of thing behind Chris Paul for two years. It really accelerated his growth. Also, I wonder if Frank ends up in New York because, like, all the knocks on Frank don't really apply to a triangle point guard. If you're running the triangle, you want a big guard who can shoot the ball and defend and doesn't have to penetrate into the lane as much. So maybe he goes as high as seven if Phil is still, like, triangle all the way. 
I, th- I, you know, I think New York would be a good fit for him. I, I know you said last week um, with one of the guys we discussed. So let's pivot quickly to Dennis Smith. I just want want to touch back on something we talked about last week with him. Uh, you mentioned with Dennis Smith last week that you know you're hoping <laughs> the Knicks pass on Dennis Smith at the eight spot so Dallas can get him at nine. And you know, so Dennis Smith just to, you know give a little background on him. He's a point guard for an NC State freshman point guard. Tore, tore his ACL in, in high school, but really regained his athleticism athleticism at the college level. And you said last week charts that um with him you look at him as a great fit offensively with the mavericks because a spaced floor uh three out with one rim runner in nerland's noel dirk spacing the floor and i totally agree on that and but when scouting these guys um and projecting them ahead how much do you weigh defense because i'm thinking back to that and i'm like rick carlisle is kind of like a no-nonsense head coach and i don't know how much he would tolerate that level of poor defense smith put out on college like he was really bad and, and i wonder yeah. you know would he potentially run out of chances in a Carlisle run team or another team that just doesn't have any tolerance or isn't willing to give opportunities to a young guy who doesn't defend? Well, I mean, I think that's a very fair concern, but it goes back to what you're saying about faults, especially at point guard. Like, I mean, Carlisle played Berea a lot his whole career. He understands like the give and take. The thing is though, Berea was bad at defense, but he tried hard. Whereas Smith could be good at defense, but he doesn't try hard. And that's the kind of thing that really bothers coaches. So that's definitely a concern. I mean, with any of these guys, you have to have like buy-in from your coaching staff and your front office. It has to be like integrated smoothly. So the coaching staff knows going in what they're, what they're dealing with. If they don't, there could be some issues for sure. How good do you think he can be defensively, though? I mean, he does have short arms, short wingspan. You know, his physical profile is average for a point guard. Uh, and his effort, obviously, as you said, is very, very low um, on the defensive end. So, like, how how high is his upside on the defensive end? I mean, he's fast enough. Like, he could be, like, maybe, like, Kemba Walker good at defense because of his speed. He's a he's a fast, fast well-built guy, so he shouldn't but, be terrible. But can he be Kemba Walker on offense? Can he be Kemba so. on offense, though? I think he can. What yeah. if he's not? Like, what? What if he's not Kemba Walker on defense? How would you have significant hesitations with him at the eighth pick in that situation? No, because point guard is not a defensive position, anyways, and most likely he's going to be dealing with screens. So he'll they'll have somebody else guarding the point guard a lot. Like maybe he's Jameer Nelson on defense. I don't know. Like I think if I was drafting the top three or five, the much bigger concern when I'm at seven, eight, nine, or ten. You got to go in there with your eyes wide open about a player. You got, can't expect him to be perfect. Like if if Smith could defend really well, he'd probably be a top five pick, right? No, I think I think that's absolutely possible with Smith. And you know the reason why I asked John is because you know the flip side of this discussion is there's guys you know in this draft and in every draft for that matter who you look at them and you project them long term as point guards, but they need to learn how to play the position. Smith knows how to play point guard. He's a good, accurate passer with a score first mentality. I think he'll be fine um, playing the position offensively early in his career. But there are other guys that you know they're more two guards or combo guards that have more point guard size. And so you want them to learn that position uh, long term. Two of those guys are Malik Monk from Kentucky and Donovan Mitchell from Louisville. Monk is a pure shooter, amazing athlete, but he struggles to defend, whereas Mitchell is an incredible defender and an amazing athlete, but he's an inconsistent shooter. So, so how, how do you view these guards in context of the modern NBA when there's really like not any there's any more? There's not a, a set definition of what a point guard is. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of it is role. Like we were talking about with Frank. If you have a team with the primary guy on the wing, like like the Philadelphia is a good example. If you already have a primary ball handling in Ben Simmons, then Monk maybe doesn't have to be a point guard necessarily. 
and you can play him off the ball really easily. I think for Monk, it's a easier because he's a great shooter. You can plug him off the ball and not worry about it. Whereas Mitchell, if his shot's not there, can he be an off-ball player? I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I, I think I have them 13 and 14. I think it's all about fit with those guys. It wouldn't surprise me either way. Or they can end up as six men. That's my, I think there's a chance they end up as six men, which is why I'm going to lower them in you, I think. You have Monk at six, right? Yeah, I have Monk at six and okay, Mitchell so at your, 11. What's your Malik Monk? Why him at six? I just think shooting is really the most important skill in today's NBA for for a, really any position. And that's where I think Malik Monk excels, never mind the fact that he's a tremendous athlete. And he, a lot of people compare him to Zach Levine, which is super fair. Uh, we have him as a, as a best-case scenario for Malik Monk on, on the Ringer NBA Draft Guide. And th- that's a fair comparison. I just think, you know, comparing Monk to Levine, the one thing Monk has, I think, that really exceeds Levine is, I think, feel. I, I like his feel, and I... I don't know if he'll be able to necessarily learn point guard long term. He has a long way to go, but he does show flashes as a as a passer. He does show flashes in the pick and roll, whether it's the ability to sc- uh, shoot it over the top or drive and you know throw kickout passes to the uh, to the wing or the corner and that's what he needs to get better at. I, I don't think he's going to be a guy where you have him bring the ball up every possession, but you know, it relates again to Nilly Kina, that conversation back uh, a couple minutes ago. You don't need a guy to do that all the time now. And, and uh, you wouldn't be drafting him to do that. I think if you plug him into that point guard slot, as long as he, as he can effectively run pick and roll, you're good. If you're running a multi-ball handler offense. And, and that's where I like him so much because of his ability to really do either play the shooting guard role you know, running off screen, spotting up, whatever, driving closeouts and attacking because he's such a terrific athlete and occasionally playing that more traditional point guard role. Yeah, I think the biggest argument, too, you look at with Calipari with like Devin Booker, sometimes guys in Calipari's system don't get a chance to show what they can do. And Monk, maybe Monk has more passing than we realize because he's playing with De'Aaron Fox. He's playing off the ball all the time. Fox holds the ball most of the game. And maybe Monk was a little depressed, his like assist statistics in a different system. I think that is like, if I was drafting Monk high, that didn't have a rationale. It's like maybe he's got, he's more than he was showing at Kentucky. Yeah, and that, you know that's a good point. That's one of the things I, I talked to Devin Booker about um, when I interviewed him for a Phoenix Suns article, and you know he basically said, "Well, I asked him, you know, do you had barely any pick and roll opportunities at Kentucky?" And he said, "Well, that's how I played my entire life." You know, and he said once he got to college, like if you watch Carl Towns in college. You would think, oh, he can't shoot threes because he didn't get the opportunity to shoot. But obviously now we know Towns is more or less a, a, a totally perimeter-focused big man. I mean, he's he is yeah. the evolution of a big man in, in the NBA. So it, opportunity knocks for a lot of those guys. And I do think Monk did receive more opportunity running pick and roll, especially in the games Fox missed. Um, but he still had, didn't receive full-time get uh, a full-time gig at the point guard spot and if he Boy. had you know if he was in a situation where he did i i do wonder how we'd view him i just think my concern with monk too is like i feel like the guy it's a valuable role you're like six three volume shooter but like, like you're patty mills essentially but i wonder if that guy can be found later in the draft like someone like tyler dorsey oh. maybe right he could do what? Uh, why Maybe are you willing to stop at Patty Monk? Mills, though? I'm just uh, out of curiosity. Like, you huh? think he's just Patty Mills? He he. There's he won't be more than that. Patty Mills is a good player. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but like, why why not? Why can't he be Ray Allen? I'm just saying, like, why can't he be? Oh, Ray was. I mean, Ray Allen was bigger. First off, much better, all around player to Malik. The, I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like with Malenka, I'm more looking at him like Lou Williams than Ray or Jamal Crawford than Ray Allen. Ray Allen was amazing. I think I I think that's totally realistic. I, I'm with you. Like you know, Lou Williams is a realistic comp. That's the other guy we have him uh, for him on the draft guide. I think Lou Williams would be a terrific player though um, if he came into the league today. And I think Monk comes in probably a better shooter um, as a freshman and absolutely a more explosive athlete too. And, and you know that's that's where like I have a hard time with the Williams comp because I think Monk is just a significantly better athlete at the, at a at the position. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, I just look at it too. I also feel like a guard who shoots a lot can be, it's hard for them sometimes to impact a team. I look at Lou Williams came to Houston. He kind of replicated Eric Gordon's role. And I feel like he kind of made Gordon not a less valuable player because of shots he took. So with Monk, like say he goes to Philadelphia, right? He's the third option behind Embiid and Simmons. The next year they have a top five pick. And the year after they have a top five pick. All of a sudden, Monk's getting like seven, eight it's shots a game. good problem to have. <laughs> it's a great problem to have. But I'm saying if Monk is getting seven or eight shots a game, how valuable is he really? I just worry. I mean, maybe he can become a great passer, a good passer. But I worry about his secondary skills if he's not going to be a primary option on offense. If I'm drafting him top five, six, seven in that range. You know, I think that's what makes Dun- uh, Mitchell, you know, really appealing to me. And I have him, I think, I, I believe 11th, which is the highest of us three. Um, so with Mitchell, I think he just has a good foundation for early in his career. He's a guy who does need to learn how to play the point guard position. You know, and he's an inconsistent shooter. But that dude is incredible on defense. And I think he's someone where I could easily see him playing right away. At the NBA Combine, he, that's one thing he's, he talked about. He's like, I know I have to learn the position. I know I need to get better as a shooter. But he realizes that defense is what can allow him to play early in his career. And, and I don't think he's a bad shooter. He's not a non-shooter. He's not Ben Simmons as, as yeah. a dump, jump shooter. He's solid. And I think I think if I'm a team in that early lotter, uh, late lottery range or early teens, I'm looking at Mitchell and I'm thinking to myself, why can't this guy turn into really that that modern combo guard. He's not our primary ball handler, but is he's one of our two or three guys that we lean on to run our offense. I, I just don't see why he can't become that. And, and in many ways, I, I like with Nili Kina, I question myself, why don't I put this guy higher because of his elite athleticism, because of his elite defense, and because of his, I think, tremendous, I think, I think intangibles on both ends of the floor. I mean, that's really fair. I mean, the more you talk about it, the more I might have more Frank and Monk. Like, yeah, he could be a really – he's he the best athlete of all these guys. Like, some of his plays he's made in his two years at Louisville, he is an unbelievable athlete. Like, he gets way I, I would say he is. I, I agree. Better than Smith? I mean, I think he might be. He's bigger. He has freakishly long arms, too. Like, what, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, yeah, wingspan? If you factor in the physical profile, I mean, like Smith, you know, if we, you put Mitch, Mitchell and Smith right next to each other, both of them have, you know, elite leaping ability. But Mitchell does have the better body, um, better frame, much longer arms, six ten wingspan compared compared to about six three for Smith. So he does have the edge in that sense. I could see him maybe being like an Oladipo, maybe, or a Gary Harris, some someone in that range of outcomes. This wouldn't stun me. I think I think Oladipo is a really good comp for him. Um, with Mitchell, so with him, what do, what do you feel like is really the hurdle for some of these guys from from a developmental standpoint? So with Mitchell, what does he need to do to become you know more of a, a guy that can be leaned on to run an offense? I mean, I think to Mitchell and me, it's like how much do you believe in that three point shot? Because he won't be a primary guy right away, start his career. 
You look at like your boy Marcus Smith, or let me say our boy Marcus Smith, like Marcus Smart. Nah, like if he can't shoot, right? How much time? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm getting all these names bringing to my mind. Like he shot 25% from three as a freshman and 35% from three as a sophomore. He was a good free throw shooter, but teams got to make him shoot the ball from three early in his career. Until he can prove he can make that, it'll kind of limit his game. So. How much should we give that three-point shot? I think will go a long way in his career. Like all these guys, really, you know, you gotta be able to shoot threes these days. Just have to. I mean, th- that's that kind of brings me back to Monk, though. I mean, with with him, he has that skill. I mean, he comes NBA ready. He's prepackaged, you know, with with a great jump shot and great athleticism. So I, I guess with him, uh, I, that that's where I just keep going back to is you're right. Shooting shooting is ultimately the most important skill for all these guys to develop and monk monk has that ready to go ready to come in right away and just kill it from the three-point range and not he didn't he wasn't someone who just straddled the, the college line either he can shoot from deep nba range off the dribble or off the catch yeah i just were like comparing with tyler dorsey well, like how much better is he than tyler dorsey and you can get him in the what the second round that like six three I, shooter. I would say he's a significantly better athlete than Tyler Dorsey, though. Yeah, and that's fair. That's my big concern is like, can you find these shooters a little later in the draft? If he's just gonna be a shooting guy. That would be my big concern about drafting monks super high. So so in other words, like for you, like if you're a team with two picks, right? You're thinking early in the draft, here, I'll grab my versatile forward or my big, and then later I'll take my swing at, you know, uh, at a smaller, you know, two guard combo guard, like a Dorsey, um, and hope that he, you know, totally exceeds expectations. It's really comes down to draft philosophy for you, John. Absolutely. I mean, not to get off track, but I think that's why I have some of these bigs lowered most people, because I feel like these days you can find your average starting center back of five at like 25 or 35. Don't have to grab him at 15 anymore. So it's all about scarcity. And then obviously this is all in a vacuum. For each team it'll be different what their needs are, what the rest of their young team is. But in a vacuum to me, those kind of players are easier to find in the draft. It's all about finding unique players who are just skills that are hard to find for agency basically. That's it for this week's High Upside. Thank you, Jonathan, for coming on. Yeah, it was fun as always, man. Looking forward to doing it next week. And thank you for listening to High Upside. Please give the Ringer NBA show a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Cheers to the band Oso Oso for providing the show's title track. And thank you, Tate Frazier, for, for producing High Upside. You can follow us on social media to stay plugged in at Ringer, at Kevin O'Connor NBA, at Jonathan Charks, and at Tate Frazier. Peace out.